Known for his elaborate and detailed collages, Dan Hillier is an artist inspired by iconography and by the traditions of ancient cultures. Passionate about nature and the natural world, his experiences travelling, particularly in the East, have also had a huge impact on him. Psychedelics and experiments with the ayahuasca brew during trips to the Amazonian forests of Peru have also been a key factor in shaping the direction of his art and in the way that he sees the world. This is Art Related Noise. We started experimenting with painting. There's so many avenues of art. We're surrounded by images. Just being lost in this sea of possibility. Announcing that I was going to be an artist. It brings the work I do alive even more. They could be part of this work as well. Everyone's got their own personal connection to something. Meeting Dan at his home in Hackney, I first of all asked him to tell me something about his art. I've been making it full time for about 12 or 13 years or something like that now. And the way that I make it is the way that I've been making art for years since I was at university in the early 90s, which is collaging. I used to use photocopiers when I was back in the, in the good old days. And the way that I make this work is by scanning in bits of old Victorian prints. So I've got a big collection of old sort of books and pages from books and Illustrated London News and things like that uh, from sort of flea markets and source books and things like that. And, and I scan them in. I take the elements I want to build up new pictures. So essentially it's sort of digital collage. And so I, I scan in all the bits and pieces that I want and uh, it kind of layer them up and play around with them and add my own drawing into them, sort of manipulate them, muck about with them. And then, and then I'll produce them as screen prints. And I just really like working with found imagery. So yeah, I used to sort of go into the library and get all their sort of like medical books and things like that and just take all the anatomical kind of pictures out of it, skeletons and musculature and bits and pieces and, and, and add my own drawing into it as well and, lay it. and I used to use the photocopy, I was basically on the photocopy the whole time. I mean before that I'd always been into really like fine detail ink drawing, you know, like sort of I had a, like a point one rotring pen that I used to be obsessively drawing with. I, this, this is a way of kind of getting into that same level of detail but <laughs> without putting all the work into it probably. But also just working with what I found as well, which is what I, I do really enjoy doing now. I do draw and paint as well. And some of the work on my website is pen and ink drawing, which I use a, a dip nib pen and ink. But I really just, when I started looking at the Victorian stuff, uh, a friend of mine gave me a big compendium of, of Victorian prints years ago. I think when I was still at university, actually, and said, oh, you should try to have a look at that. And it just lay around for a while. And I love the work of Max Ernst. He's like the, sort of the number one influence for me, for sure. He did a book called um, A Week of Kindness in the 30s where he basically cut up lots of old Victorian bits and pieces um, from periodicals, all the sort of old sort of like pulp journals, pulp fiction, pulp novels at that time and made this bonkers uh, graphic novel and I definitely, I mean that's where I took my first lead from. So anyway, yeah, I had, I had this sort of compendium of Victorian illustrations and, and bits and sort of anatomical drawings and stuff like that and just started playing with those and I've, I, I came to London in 1999 to do a, a Photoshop course just to do something to be in London and I just started scanning and that's the first time I started using a computer and I just fell in love with all the line work and stuff that I was using for the source material and it kind of just went from there really and now I'm like you know I've, I've got tons of these I've got thousands of these prints old sort of 1800s from about 1850 to the 1890 I guess was the golden age of, of these wood engravings that were made by these artisan sort of wood engravers back in the 1800s before photography really kicked in. And it's sort of progressed from being maybe like 10 years ago I was making you know a lot of pictures like the earlier pictures like mother and father and son which are people with animals heads or people with animal kind of mixed animal elements mixed into them 
into being what it is now, which is a much more, I guess, for want of a better term, psychedelic or cosmic um, approach to things. Yeah. And, when, and do you do you originally have an idea? So when you you go out and you, you search for these these old drawings or these old etchings or these old you know, things that you find, are you going in search of something, or does, does do you see something and that speaks to you, and then you think actually I can create something out out of that? It's both of those things because the, it's like a, this organic process that happens really because I've got all of these pictures and I'm sifting through them a lot, and you know when I go out and and look for more source material. There's just a lot of looking happens, you know. I go, I've also go go to the um, the V&A library sometimes and get them to send out all these like massive like year um, long collections of Illustrated London News or Graphic or whatever the, the old magazines are. Just the process of flicking through those, you know, you see so much, so much, uh, so much imagery goes past that something kind of sticks and a bit of an idea arises. I'd say for the most part, I've got a bit of an idea of where I'm going. It's it's either I've got an idea for a picture. Or it's the second thing you said, which is that I see a face, which I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, there's something I can do with that, and I want to work with it. That will be the starting point, and I'll just start with scanning that in, cleaning it up, and then just play around with whatever other associations come in as well. Because I've got quite a good memory for all the stuff I've got, because I've looked through it so many times, and I'll remember, I don't know, like my, it might be like a naval scene of some waves or something like that that will go well with, I don't know, like that landscape or whatever. It sort of does itself, really. And in terms of the collective body of work that you've got, so you give each of your pieces a name and it seems to be inspirations in terms of you know, deities, gods, goddesses, things like that. And you're creating a piece of work, which I mean, actually, I'm looking at you know, mm. sitting in your front room at the moment and there's a, it looks like a, a virgin and child image. You've put your own spin on that. I'm really interested in, in archetypes and iconography and old traditions, sort of old, old ancient traditions. Like, you know, I've done a lot of time out in India and Nepal and been out to Tibet. I'm really interested in the old, kind of mostly forgotten pagan sort of characters of Europe and the UK as well. I don't know, I've always been drawn to it. I've always been drawn to it. Like, I, I tra- first travelled around India when I was like 24, 24 25 years old. <clears throat> and came across a lot of like Buddhist iconography, which I really loved, especially when I was up in Nepal or the Tibetan tankers. So it's, it's Tibetan art, but you know they're in Nepal because Tibet's. There's a lot of people that have fled from Tibet to be in Nepal, and I saw a lot of Tibetan art when I was there, which had a big effect on me because I, I find it so powerful. They're very geometrically proportioned and very precise in what they're depicting. So I love that side of it, but I also like the sort of like power that I can feel in the presence of a a really good old-fashioned Christian icon with a lot of gold leaf on the back of it. You know, I love the Sainsbury wing in the National Gallery, all these sort of like three, four, five, six hundred-year-old pieces of wood that are still looking really like popping, you know, and have got something, they're capturing something there. There's something that comes through in the art of all these old, like religious or um, particular, more, the more sort of esoteric traditions that I'm really drawn to. So I'm sort of recreating those. I've kind of had the thought a few times that really I'm, I'm making art that I want to see. And I think especially that picture you just mentioned, Mother and Child, um, that was in the makings for a couple of years. And that's probably why it's up on my wall in my own house. Because <laughs> uh, I, I love looking at those. And I think that, you know, it speaks to something more than just like Jesus and Jesus's mum. It's, 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 it's an archetype of the of the great mother and the child, the human, you know, for me. And I'm just, I'm really attracted to that stuff. I'm really interested in reading about it. I'm really fascinated in how archetypes show up in regular 
human life, you know, like in our regular, in our sort of like seemingly normal world. Um, and I love nature, and I think all of those expressions of like the, the earth goddesses or the dark sort of like horned male beings or female beings or whatever they are, they're all pointing to something which we used to used to be our compass to understand nature, you know, or understand what or try and understand what we're doing here. There's something about reimagining, you know, things that people would worship in, in, a, in a time long, long, long ago. I mean, mm. you mentioned paganism now, and mm. you know, I think back to this country and mm. before the Romans. We don't really know much about what mm. people did. Are you in some way reappropriating those for us to reimagine now? Yeah, I, I think so. Starting to more recently as well. Like my um, dear friend Kurt, who like runs my business as well, and, and basically. Is is a, is a big part of what I do, and a dear friend of mine. Like she's really, really got me and more interested in looking here because I've always looked east out of interest. You know, I've always been sort of attracted to the east, to India and and Nepal and that sort of that part of the world. But there is definitely a feeling of of wanting to bring something back out of what has been submerged for a long time without being too grandiose you know it's just it's something that I want to see you know like years ago I used to go and see an old mystical guy called Ben who really sort of like got me into the druids you know the whole sort of like druidical system and the bards and the ovids and all this ancient system of like knowledge of nature which we used to have which was kind of smashed up by the sort of invasion of the Romans at that time and largely lost I, I guess there is some there's definitely something of that I think, which I want to see again, you know, like to, to get in contact with the, the really old stuff that we can connect with. I, I spend time in woods when I can, and I feel it when I kind of get into touch, when I, when I meet a deer in the woods or spend a bit of, spend some nights out in the wood like I did recently and have some quite interesting encounters and, and experiences. Uh, there's a lot that we've lost by getting distracted by technology and that, me included, obviously. That I, that I think I, I lose by not spending time looking at nature. And this is one, one of the things about my making pictures is partly to get back in touch with that, as, as well as much as it is to just play around and, and enjoy making pictures as well, because it's kind of simple as well what I do. I, I just love making pictures. Do you think we, we do have that innate ability then as human beings to connect with nature in a way that we, I don't know, just can't even imagine these days? But let's go back, you know, 3,000 years probably sitting in some form of swamp area in Hackney. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, you know, being really attuned with nature and just being like one. Do you think that's an innate ability that we as humans haven't got anymore, but we, we possibly could have again? I, I definitely think we've still got it, but I don't think it gets used. You know, I know I notice in myself that I need to go off and spend time in silence, like, like once or twice or more times a year. Like the like the, the the few days I just mentioned recent, uh, with like a couple of months ago, I went and did a two week silent retreat in a place called Gaia House down in Devon, which is like a silent retreat centre. And then went out into the woods. A friend of mine, Henrietta, who who runs walking tours over over the moors, like put me onto this little copse, which is one of the old, very few sort of remaining patches of Dartmoor, which is still a forest because Dartmoor is actually called Dartmoor National Forest, and it's all. Uh, sort of uh, like open moorland now but it used to be a huge oak forest amongst other I don't know if it was just oak but anyway she sent me to this kind of like this patch of oak forest and um, I was only there for a few days had a couple of nights there and just immediately almost immediately having I mean I was lucky to have it to myself but it's like just like like no phone 
no distractions, looking at the stars, sleeping out by the fire, spending time out in the pitch black of the woods for a couple of hours or maybe an hour, and spending the days just literally sitting quietly watching deer walking past. It doesn't take that much to reconnect with it, really. But I think we've, I mean, this is, this is why the world's on fire, because we've lost touch with it. But um, I don't think we've lost it, but I think we've lost our way to just quietening down and connecting with something which is like, which is, which is sacred. One thing that I like to, to ask people when I meet people for art-related noise is just to, you know, was there a, is there a, a moment, a show, an exhibition, a piece of work that you've seen that you go, you look back on now and you think, yeah, actually that was a, it inspired me or it was a mm. key moment for me? Well, the first one that comes to mind, I think there's probably a few, but the one that springs to mind when you first ask that is the Mark Rothko exhibition, or retrospective, which I don't know when it was, it's, I think it was probably like 10 years ago at the Tate, 12 years ago maybe, something like that, which is really like so completely different from my work. But there was a room there, I think it was the later paintings, and there were like black, those black paintings, and there, were, there was just a room of, I don't know how many, like seven black rectangles on black backgrounds that he made, you know, and they were all slightly different, and you could see just about see the brush marks in there. But I had a, a really powerful experience of being in there, of, of just, like, just wondering what I was looking at. I've got, I've got a memory of being on the deck of a spaceship looking into like deep space is, is my memory of it. It really affected me, it was really powerful and mysterious. So that's the first thing that comes to mind when you ask the question. Um, and I, I've just, only now you've asked that question, made this link with what I've just done over in America where I did a couple of shows with this, I made this big sort of black earth cube, which was completely dark, and except for candlelight, so you had to go and find the work with candlelight. But I think since that show, there's been something of, that, that, that was definitely, had an influence on me in terms of, I love the effect that, I had, that it had on me. I, I love the idea that, that, that I might be able to put something into some work that would have the same effect on somebody else. So they'd just like, be, like, stop for a minute and look and be, like, not know what they think about it or be a bit, bit overwhelmed by it or something like that or, or that it would touch something in them which they, they, they can't quite work it out. Yeah, they have a moment. Just, just looking at it and something, exactly, yeah. something's happening. You don't know necessarily what it is, but actually art is having an impact. Yeah, there's a really good little uh, few pages in a... I, I said this recently to somebody else. Uh, I was reading Ken Wilber recently, some Ken Wilber like, collection of like, short writings. He's t he talks about art having the power to stop you in your tracks and for time to disappear and for the, like, the self to kind of drop away for a bit. And for something else to sort of like come through, and that's, that's the sort of art that I like to see. That's, that's what I like to. That, that would be my sort of borrowed definition of a a good time with art. What I'm possibly seeking to sort of provoke in people a little bit. It stops yeah. you in your tracks. It stops you in your tracks, yeah, and just like shuts you up for a bit. You mentioned about the uh, Indian and the Tibetan art and the experiences that you had over there when did you when did you first go over to that part of the world and, and what was it that drew you to that that area uh i think it was probably a couple of things one was that it's something to do isn't it like when you're younger to go travel into it do, do some traveling in the east you know i felt I'd, I'd, my my first connections with sort of eastern sort of mysticism and all that stuff that i'm interested in probably happened when i was about 19 when i when i'd we'd done a little bit too much acid and decided that meditation is probably... I, was, I, I remember looking into 
um, like Buddhism then as a way of like just kind of calming down because I was, you know, it was university and I'm, I've, I'd got an interest in psychedelics and stuff. I started looking into Buddhism and so that's what, that, that was the initial sort of pull to me. Um, so I was 24 when I went over there and was over there for six months, first time I went out there. I went up into the Himalayas as well, did, did a lot of walking up in the mountains, um, met some amazing Tibetan monks and people that were on their way over that had fled from Tibet, that had come over these 6,000 metre passes in flip-flops and really just amazing people and dropped into some of the Tibetan, small Tibetan monasteries like quite high up in the mountains there as well and spent little bits of time amongst them and seeing these amazing like huge murals of like, extremely detailed kind of wrathful deities and buddhas and bodhisattvas and, and and all that business it made a big impression on me one thing that i know about your work is the influence influence that psychedelics has in it mm. can you tell me something more about uh, what that influence is <laughs> yep so I mean, when I was when I was younger, I used to I, I experimented like loads of people do experiment with you know LSD and mushrooms and stuff like that, and got into it and loved it and got all sorts of wonders out of it, and then stopped doing it because it was driving me a bit mad. Definitely something for later life, I think, kids. But I'd say like the psychedelic component in the work definitely is kind of spun out from that time, especially over the last four or no five years when I first went to Peru in 2014 and drank ayahuasca in the jungle out there with Shipibo shamans and a place called the Temple of the Way of Light. And that was the start of a few years of, of, of doing, uh, of going back and, and, and drinking with Shipibo people and Cachanawa, Hunukuin people of Brazil. The journeys with that plant, I mean, I, I, yeah, I couldn't possibly put it into words, probably like most people who have worked with it. It's an amazing experience. And for me, I think for me, I, I remember the first time I went, we did seven ceremonies on the first trip over the space of about 10 days or so. It, it did something for me to, in terms of my relationship to my work, was made really clear that this is, ah, maybe, I, th I think that was the point, was like, yeah, this is what I'm here to do. Like, this is my... This is this is my thing. I sort of knew it, but it was made it really, really clear that uh, this is a way for me to explore the world and to express to the world the, the sort of love for it all that I find. Actually, after I, I think I've been over there three times, and then Paul Foster from Saatchi had been sort of watching what I've been posting about my trips over there on Facebook or whatever it was at the time. Asked if I wanted to do a show because he thought it, it was like a ripe time to if I was interested to make some work around those experiences particularly and so that's that's what set up the Saatchi show uh, ceremony which was to November 2016 I think he got in touch with me in 2015 so I had a year to put that together and I made work specifically was it well was it specifically well it was yeah it was sort of loosely but kind of loosely and firmly based around that time spent out in the jungle and what had sort of spun out since because I think time the doing the ceremonies themselves extremely intense times of about four five six hours but what spins out of them comes out it takes years to sort of unspool really and um that was a great opportunity to just explore that time for me in my work pictures like calibri and temple of the way of light and acacia and kind of you know, working at a much larger format that i'd worked at before as well I'd, that really allowed me to kind of 
to go in and um, explore, sort of see what the spoils were from going out and spend that time in the jungle. And what do these ceremonies look like? You mentioned ceremonies a couple of times there. Mm. These six hours, you say? There's quite a... Yeah, so depending who you're with, like in the, <laughs> I, mean, I could talk about this for hours as well. Uh, so, that, so, so these ones in the, in the Peruvian Amazon were with the Shipibo shamans, and there were five shamans, a few f- facilitators. The, the Temple of the Way of Light, there's about 20 people in a circle, in this huge circle in the Maloka, which is the, the sort of ceremonial hall. Everybody takes it in turns to go up, drink a, a shot of ayahuasca, which is this plant brew, which is made from two plants that is, they've been drinking for nobody really knows how long for, but um, this, is, this is the sacrament out there, you know. Um, anyway, so drink that, sit down in silence, all the lights are taken out of the room, you're in pitch black, waiting for the medicine to come on, you know they call it the medicine and the shamans are drinking it as well and when they start to sense that it's starting to work through the room you know either people will start purging you know puking and making all sorts of noises or whatever or they'll just sense it they all start singing at the same time there's five of them in these particular ceremonies they all start singing and kind of set the space and then they move out and they come they work their way around the circle and they sing these plant songs into you individually so these plant songs are called Icaros, and they're taught to them by the plants. So they'll go off into the jungle fast and do dieters with these particular plants and get to know their properties. To put it mildly, basically, I, I, as far as I understand it, they'll diet with ayahuasca and with another plant until the plant will make its, its song known through them. They'll start spontaneously hearing or spontaneously singing these songs, which is then means they have the medicine of that plant. And so... In the ayahuasca ceremony, they're, they're kind of moving around the circle, or if you're just one-to-one with them or whatever, they'll, the, the shaman will kind of look and see what's going on in your system with the aid of ayahuasca, and then whatever plant that they've been dieting with will sort of come through, and that plant will sing through them. I don't know how bonkers this sounds, because this has sort of become sort of like quite normal, but the, they'll sing the plant's medicine song to you, essentially, and the idea is that it will move into the system and through sound and the presence of the of the master that you're working with, it will, it will sort of bring out ills and uh, physical illness or mental illness or psycho- psychosomatic, spiritual effects, whatever it is. And quite often you'll just, you'll just start like purging, puking and getting it out of your system. And so it goes, so it goes on like that for about five hours. It's extremely intense. So that's the sort of, that's the form but you know, at the same time, you're going through really, really often extremely intense journeys. Of they can be extremely psychedelic, or they can be very emotional, or they can be very dark. They can be very divine. Everything's on the table, basically. Anything could happen. But my experience is that they've been very illuminating for me. Is that cre- creatively? Is creatively, that way or personally, emotionally, uh, physically as well. And I had actually had a. A problem with my wrist from the detail work that I do with um, some of the drawing. I had an RSI on my wrist, and that was zapped one night. I really clearly, my wrist just started buzzing like crazy, and became super painful. And and then it was gone, like you know, this thing that I'd had going for the last couple of years. So it could be physical, it could be psychological. So is this playing at the level of the unconscious mind? Then you, you described it as intense, quite experiences. Mm. really going into the deeper elements of your soul so that it is it's working at a, a, an unconscious level yeah that's part of it i'd say it's going into your ancestry as well it goes into one's ancestry goes into the part the interconnectedness that we all have with each other with nature you know so um 
sort of what we were talking about earlier, isn't it? In terms of the interconnected world that we, you know, we live in, and if we allow ourselves the space to just step into it and just mm. be, yeah, then actually, will we will we feel part of the wider whole? Yeah, and and, and I think it's, it often can bring about a bit of seeing that we are it. Like you know, it's like we're not, it's not like we are part of it. It's like we are it, and it is us, and that kind of hackneyed phrase that everything is connected is just like sometimes can be seen so clearly. I think, you know, you can you can see that in meditation or in everyday life or, or any circumstance, but something about this work with this plant, with these plants, it just shows it so ridiculously clearly. So it, it is, yeah, you can go into your unconscious mind, you can go into your childhood, you can go into old traumas, but also into family stuff as well, like ancestral stuff, like societal stuff. I mean, it's so unknowable. For me, it blows open. It just, it just like reveals the unknowability, the incomprehensible nature of any, being anything at all. Yeah, you can find yourself in all, find yourself in all sorts of scrapes. And how does that show in your work? How does that come out in terms of the pieces that you do? I'd say that. It, it's it's oriented my kind of clear intention that my work is a, a, a reasonably lightly held but very sincere blast of love, you know, for the natural world and for people and for mystical, mysterious nature of being. You know, it made me really clear that this is what I'm doing. I'm making work that hopefully reflects that. I think probably the the time that I've spent with the work with the plants and with my time quietly being in nature and being on retreat in meditation you know i think med- without meditation that work with the plants would have been completely different um experience for me i think but yeah the the, the main way i think that it's affected what i do is it's made it very clear that it just wants me it's made me want to investigate this stuff even more and to my mind plant-based psychedelic activity shall we call it is a very powerful means to for the world to open up into something unexpected unexpected so you've tapped into something quite ancient there i'm suspecting that that those people that you met in the amazonian forests Mm -hmm. of peru have been doing that for many many years Mm -hmm. and for probably longer years than we we can remember yeah but but that sounds like an ancient memory and a tradition that you've tapped into would would that be the case do you think Uh, that definitely is the case yeah i mean i think the the cashanella talk about having the songs that they sing you know they talk in terms of i i think hundreds of thousands of years i mean i don't know how that works out with our sort of knowledge of history of what we know of how long humans have been humans but certainly for thousands and thousands of years they've been doing this Again, sort of having travelled so far to do that, it makes me kind of interested in uh, finding out what our version of that is because this stuff pops up all over the place. Wherever you go, there are people that are working with natural sort of like gifts from the earth to experience reality in a different way. You know, we have psilocybin mushrooms over here, which obviously they're illegal now, which is bonkers to my mind. The fact that ingesting a naturally occurring plant can be made illegal is completely mental yeah i don't know i don't know what our version of that is i know we used to have sweat lodges over here like a long 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 time ago no doubt there was you know mugwort and plants like that have got effects on 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 sort of visionary experience i don't know much about any of that at all i think probably very few people do but there are definitely people who are really aware of it who are looking to sort of bring these modalities back into into our experience as well because one of the reasons I know that what the reasons why it's it's held so sacred in Peru and 
Brazil and beyond, you know, ayahuasca and the other plants that they work with is because it has such a profound effect on keeping people in balance with their surroundings and with themselves. We've got our state-sanctioned drugs of alcohol and tobacco and uh, what else are we allowed to have over here? Like, yeah, like sugar, you know, those mind-altering substances that are allowed, but caffeine. Yeah, to come back to your question, the, that's what I feel has come from my time of, of, of re-exploring psychedelics through mainly, mainly through ayahuasca. It makes me want to like, ex express my strange findings in pictorial form, I guess. How does it look in pictorial form in, in terms of your art? How, how would that look to the, to the, to the viewer? Is it colourful? Is it bright? Is it patterned? Well, that's the thing, actually. Like, those experiences are extremely colourful and extremely dark as well. That can be extremely like, full of light, full of darkness, everything in between. There's no limit to what happens. But I'd say it's generally... Actually, I wouldn't say it's generally a colourful experience. There is, there's a moment, for me, my, the usual route that it takes for me is that as, as I feel it coming on, it, there's an um, insane amount of psychedelic activity happens to the point where often it will make me sick because it's so intense, it's so big. And then that will sort of spread out into something different and then uh, there'll be a journey that can go through. It, anything could happen, really. Sort of scenes will be seen and, in, and experienced and landscapes and plant spirits and I was never somebody to talk about spirits before I went to Peru and started experiencing you know the world's full up with it you know um yeah how would it look in pictorial form I don't know I'd, I'd probably have to say just because I'm, I'm, I'm not relating it into pictorial form necessarily like this is what I saw a couple of them a little bit but generally it's more about recreating the feeling of if I'm seeking to relate that, then it'd be about creating a feeling. But more accurately, really, I think probably the work that I make is just a reflection of where I'm at in the aftermath of going, you know, being in those ceremonies. Maybe that makes a little bit of sense. Dan, thanks for talking to Art Related Noise. All right, thank you. 